do me a favour. If you're listening to this, please hit the subscribe button. Like, share, rate, review the podcast. It really does mean more than you realise. You tell your kids, you know, you can have you can have anything, yeah? But the one thing you can't have is everything. So you have to realise at some point that sometimes it is enough and understand what is enough. Because if you're constantly striving, then you're never going to be happy. Um, you're never going to find that contentment that that ultimately people are searching for. Maybe you're not content with the choices you've made. Maybe you've breached your moral code in order to get there. And, you know, if you're living with, I think there's a phrase I learned recently, cognitive dissonance, where your actions, uh, you know, kind of don't portray the, the, the morals that you've got, then, you know, you're, you're sort of destined to live a a life that's not as fulfilled as maybe it, it could have been, um, which is a real shame. And it's it's really common because, let's be honest, when do you seek out um, counselling? When do you seek out um, a, a life coach? You seek these things out when you aren't doing well, when you're in a bad place. But actually what we need is great people around us from a really early age to start to kind of just check in with us and say, right, how, how are things? How are you progressing? Because we all need that that little bit of a steer from time to time. You know, in answer to the question, what did I sacrifice? Well, I sacrificed things that were around my personal life, really, uh, whether that was my physical health, my mental health, um, the health and well-being of my, my family and my relationships. You know, we set the business up, as I said, in 2003, started trading in 2004, and I had my first really poor mental health experience in 2005. But I didn't listen to, to my body, I didn't listen to my brain. That was, that was sort of crying out for help. Um, and ironically, it was, the, it was the pause that we all got forced upon us by COVID. Um, and that coincided with effectively a, a, a third uh, dip in, in my mental health, um, where, you know, I had a, a moment, just a completely different way of looking at this, which was, look, this is, this is ridiculous, you know, because it coincided with just having effectively realised all my dreams in terms of my success or, you know, whether that be financial or otherwise. Um, I think this, is, this can't be right. <laughs> this can't be right. Something needs to change. And so, and so, yeah, that's, that's really what sort of triggered the last couple of years of self-reflection. And, um, yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a very different place nowadays. I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films. Welcome to another episode of the County Business Talks podcast. I'm joined today by the co-founder and director of Focus Group, a UK comms and IT business employing over 700 staff across eight offices. Focus Group delivers innovative solutions to over 25,000 businesses and an annual revenue in excess of 125 million. For two decades, his leadership experience in the IT and telecom sector covers everything from the development of effective sales teams, cohesive people and culture strategies and robust financial analysis together with having led and completed numerous M&A and private equity transactions. He remains deeply committed to ensuring Focus Group has a positive and sustainable impact on those in and around our community, leading on agendas such as employee wellbeing and business culture. 
He recently founded the Focus Foundation, a charity designed to connect our community of employees, customers and industry partners in order to make a positive impact on people's lives. Despite huge success over the past two decades, he has come with sacrifices and along his own battle with mental health. Today, he's going to share his story with us and I'm truly honoured and delighted to welcome Chris Goodman to the podcast. Chris, how you doing, mate? Very well. What, what an introduction. Thank mate. you very much. Um, I'm sort of, who's, who's this guy you're talking about? <laughs> he sounds like a top bloke, but yeah. so, apparently it's me, so thank you very much. Mate, also, uh, listen, I, I know we've sort of spoken, we've been trying to get this in a diary for a while, and I'm, um, I follow, I've obviously followed you dearly. I've known you, you for a while anyway, and obviously seen the growth and, uh, and success of, obviously, Focus Group. Um, but obviously read your your blogs and stuff that you post especially around sort of mental health which is so i was so intrigued and and, and yeah delighted that you, you wanted to come on and, and obviously share that with us so look we're going to jump straight in mate as always so just mm. tell us a little listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey a bit about your story sure well i'll bring your uh your biography there uh, <laughs> straight up to date so uh focus group now has nine offices around the uk uh, oh, we've got wow. nearly 800 staff and, uh, and, and almost 30,000 customers. So it's constantly growing. Um, but of course, it wasn't always uh, a big behemoth of a, of a, of a, <laughs> of a business. Um, we, we set up in, in 2003. Um, we, we actually sort of founded the business then, but didn't start t- trading until 2004. Uh, it was just me and my business partner. We'd both worked in sales, um, worked for somebody else. And, uh, you know, there's many people out there who founded a business who, who realized that Perhaps all their ambitions and their dreams aren't going to be realised working for somebody else. Um, and yeah, we took the plunge uh, in 2004 to actually quit our jobs and and go on our own. And we were we were really young. Um, I think Ralph was 21 when we sort of came up with the concept of setting up the business. Yeah. I was 23. Um, so yeah, we, we were we were pretty pretty young. Um, and I suppose in a way that. Um, lack of lack of experience and, and, and being a bit green around the edges meant that we came in with a completely fresh approach. We weren't yeah. we weren't sort of uh, burdened by doubts and fears, and yeah. you know we didn't have all the all we hadn't built a life of things to lose yet. Yeah, so yeah, so sure. it, it was a sort of a freedom uh, in those early days setting up the business. And I, and I guess that that naivety sometimes going into the amount of people I do speak to, and that sometimes that naivety is what actually helps you to progress and helps you to succeed. I guess because, like you say, you, if you thought about all the things, or you go, oh, I've had that experience and that didn't work, and then you worry about things more. Like you said, that fear factor stops people from doing stuff. Yeah, completely. I think I think generally the mindset of of someone in a sales environment is is it tends to be higher on the risk reward. Um, sort of scale yeah. um, generally there's a kind of a, a work hard play hard mentality at, yeah. at that age anyway um, and you're absolutely right you don't you don't have those those le- perhaps those levels of self-doubt that you yeah. will do when you're a bit older um, I often hear people talking about jumping out of planes and things for charity uh, you know or talking about it thinking well I've got far too much to lose so I won't I won't take the risk you know what if <laughs> something went wrong <laughs> and it's exactly the same when you're starting a business you know yeah. it's I've got Good friends who who would love to do it, but actually they're at a point in their life now where they feel the risk just is, is too great for them to, to do that. Yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, is it, 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 um, that's, that's obviously young to start start your own business. Did, was it was it always sort of in you, like from a young age? Did you sort of in your mindset go, I'm gonna I'm gonna start my own business at some point? As I, you know. yeah, it's a really inter- interesting question. I'm sure we'll get onto it a little bit later on, but um, I think it was. I think it was my my great grandfather 
um, was an entrepreneur. He was the um, the chap who invented the the snap lock safety pin. So uh, in in my in my sort of family history, there was there was an entrepreneurial spirit and yeah. and, and commerce. Um, and growing up, I saw I saw the trappings of what that what that what that could come with. Yeah. Um, not in my personal life, but I'd seen it in in sort of past generations. Um, and so I was I was pretty keen to make sure that that if the opportunity presented itself, that I that I went and uh, and found my way into business. My my parents were both teachers, so uh, as all you teachers out there will know, yeah. it's not necessarily the, the highest paid job, yeah. um, more of a vocation. And and while that's incredibly admirable, and and you know the, we need that, we need people who are who are willing to sort of put themselves second. Um, you know, I was always I was always driven to to try to to make a success of myself yeah. financially. Um, but that definition of success is something that has has changed dramatically over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose in a way that's th- the way that I w- viewed success from a financial and material perspective in those early days was what, what drove me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find now that when I'm having conversations with people about motivation, work ethic, work-life balance, it's very easy now to be slightly, um, view it in a different way and say, well, maybe you should maybe you should be careful about that work-life balance. Mm-hmm. There's always a question mark over whether you would have been as successful if you weren't as driven in, the, in those early days. So it's certainly a journey. And yeah, my view on that has probably changed over the years. Um, yeah. yeah I, so, so I find that really fascinating because I'm, I'm constantly at a bit of a battle with that in my head, I guess, for, for me personally. I, I remember going, I, I talk about that definition of success and it was very much I was driven my 30s for up until I was 40 thinking oh, I'm gonna want to be that multi-millionaire and that was again a, a sort of I guess a driver behind it but it was all based around that finance. and I, I hit a bit of a wall and thinking oh, I haven't achieved that actually with the financial security side of stuff I, I hadn't I hadn't got to that by the time I was 40 and then I questioned a lot about myself as in regards to failure mm. trying to change that definition in my head of what that because I, I got to a low point thinking to myself actually um if I died tomorrow, I'm, I'm actually surrounded by people who I love and yeah. who love me. Yeah. And I've got my best mates who I've grown up with from school who are still my best mates and yeah. walk over hot coals with me. I've got a lovely wife and two beautiful kids, great relationship with mum and dad, brothers, my best mate. You know what I mean? Them type of thing. I saw, I'm surrounded in, within the business community with people I've built really strong relationships yeah. with, who are really good friends as well. As anything. So that, that helped me a little bit, I guess, in my, for me, that definition change a little bit when I've got uh, 40 for me to go uh, some. I, I think part of the problem comes um, at school you know you, you um you know you, you get to a certain age when they start to say okay what do you want to be when you're older yeah. and, and there's a sense of if I do a and b I'll end up with c yeah. but nobody ever asks you whether you want c you know what is that yeah. um what's what's your motivation there's an assumption very often that it is about um, you know, having as good a job as you can get with as much money uh, mm. and as much freedom uh, that, that that may, may come with, but actually, not everybody wants that. Um, mm. And I think it's quite a dangerous thing to, to to push everyone down a particular route where the definition of success is is that endpoint, mm. as opposed to who you are and how you act on the journey. Mm. So, I think when when we got to kind of 2020 and I'm sure we'll come on to it but when we got to 2020 and sold a share of the business you know we'd had a fantastic journey 
had I really enjoyed, had I really taken time to enjoy the journey, to reflect mm. at various moments on, you know, the highs and the lows and, you know, all the things that come with, with running a business and having responsibility for staff, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and the answer was, was absolutely no. Um, and while, while I would diligently write my, my to-do list or my, my sort of goals for each year, the extent of my have I succeeded or not was just at the end of the year, either putting a tick or a cross next to the various items. So it was, it, there, was no, there was no emotional aspect to it. There was no sense of appreciation. It was just, and actually, interestingly, the level of um, enjoyment and sense of achievement I would get from the ticks was far outweighed by maybe the one or two crosses where I'd written, you know, lose some weight or play more golf or whatever. I would I would berate myself for not having achieved things as opposed to reflecting on the majority of ticks that were saying, oh yeah, actually I've you know what I've done, and that's human nature. It's yeah. Negativity bias. I talk about it in one of my blogs. Um, it's really common. It's yeah. really common. But it's but it's a real shame, and we don't give ourselves space and time enough to be self-aware enough to spot these traits and these these ways of ways of behaving so and may, maybe that just comes with age but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know it's a it's a, it's a challenge because it's, re- it's really interesting like you say that the, the conflict i find is that you you've like you said as a as a businessman as an entrepreneur you you set yourself goals we do in business don't we, we go right i'm going to set that goal and that's what i want to try and achieve and that generally like you say that definition around success is still a narrative out there that is that someone's actually successful based on their financial mm. gain, isn't it? Mm. I think that's where, you know, you'd look at a certain business person, go, oh, they're successful, look at their turning over X amount, yeah. making it. But it's interesting to see, like I said, I, I'm really passionate about, I'm not necessarily always just trying to change that narrative, but I do th- believe that it, it can be, not dangerous, but you, you almost want to get somewhere. You want to achieve those financial goals because you want that financial freedom. Yeah. And you need to sacrifice to get there in some ways, but not at the state of your mental health or yeah whatever. yeah I mean I'm sure you've you'll have you'll have set yourself targets yeah, and things yeah. you want to achieve and then when you have achieved them how long have you given yourself to be able yeah, to yeah. actually sort of bask in the glory of having achieved what you set out yeah, to yeah. achieve you know most people who are aspirational reach that point and then within minutes they are what next yeah what yeah. now um and you know I've spent quite a bit of time reading and listening to podcasts and what have you in the last couple of years in particular um you know and you you tell your kids you know you can have you can have anything yeah yeah? but the one thing you can't have is everything so you have to realize at some point that sometimes it is enough and understand what is enough because if you're constantly striving then you're never going to be happy um you're never going to find that contentment that ultimately people are searching for mm. um, it's not necessarily about the wealth um, it's the sense that it gives you you know the, the opportunities that it creates you yeah, sure. and and how sad is it if you get to that point where you have those opportunities but then actually you're not content with who you are maybe you're not content with the choices you've made maybe you've breached your moral code in order to get there yeah. and you know if you're living with I think there's a phrase I learned recently cognitive dissonance where yeah. your actions uh, you know, kind of don't portray the, the the morals that you've got. Then, you know, you're you're sort of destined to live a a life that's not as fulfilled as maybe it, it could have been, um, yes. which is a real shame. And it's it's really common because let's be honest. When do you seek out um, counselling? When do you seek out um, a, a life coach? You seek these things out when you aren't 
doing well, when you're in a bad place. Yeah. But actually what we need is great people around us from a really early age to start to kind of just check in with us and say, right, how, how are things? How are you progressing? Because we all need that, yeah. that little bit of a steer from time to time. But yeah. we, yeah, and so, sadly we don't we don't reach out for that until yeah. uh, until we're struggling. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, I, I do think that you. I think you're spot on. It is. You wait till you get to that low point till you make that change. And yeah. Talk, talk to me over about some of like over the 18 years, or like maybe some of the sacrifices then that you feel that you've made in in life, maybe with personal life or like you said with health or whatever. But talk to me a little bit about that uh, over those. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the first thing I'd say was um, and this sort of realization came in the last couple of years through through having counseling um both in a sort of traditional sense but also um kind of life coaching um so i on an annual basis would 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 write uh, a plan for the next year and and kind of review the the five year plan and i would break it down into sections and the first section would all every year would be financial so you know where am I at from a financial position how much money have I got in the bank what are my business assets worth etc etc and that's how I was benchmarking my progress versus the prior year Uh, and then it would it would work through um, you know for for example other other projects whether it's property related or what have you and then down nearer the bottom would be holidays what holidays did I want and then the last section would be personal and it would be as I mentioned, it would. I remember for quite a few years, it was get below fifteen stone, uh, and play more golf, and you know, there'd be two or three things in there. Spend more time with my wife, yeah. uh, my my poor long-suffering Elaine, um, <laughs> and I'd get to the end of the year, and invariably, in priority order, I would have been most likely to achieve my goals on the things that were at the top of the list, and least likely at the bottom of the list. So. You know, in answer to the question, what did I sacrifice? Well, I sacrificed things that were around my personal life, really, uh, whether that was my physical health, my mental health, um, the health and well-being of my my family and my relationships. Um, you know, not not in a sort of catastrophic way, certainly not in a way that I could perceive. Yeah. But over time, these things um, these things have a tendency to kind of build, and certainly from a from a both a physical and mental health perspective. You know, they would they would build, not in a catastrophic way, mm. but you know, in in, in not a particularly productive way. Um, so, I think that was putting myself last was, yeah. was was one of the one of the major things. That's very different now. I put myself first, uh, and if I put myself first, then I'm the best version of me. And if I'm the best version of me, then I have more to give to my friends and my family and everything else. So, yeah. so that's a complete that's a complete shift. Um, and you, you say that's only really come about the last couple of years that you've sort of been looking at that. Yeah, um, I think in, you know, we set the business up, as I said, in 2003, started trading in 2004. And I had my first really poor mental health experience in 2005. And, it, and when that happened in 2005 and 2012, my approach was, okay, I'm not very well. I need to see a doctor. And invariably, the doctors prescribe you with sort of antidepressants or, or what yeah. have you. In my, in my case, it was a anxiety, stroke, panic um, disorder. So, but I didn't change anything else. Um, you know, I might have made a cursory moment of listening to a meditation or what have you. But as soon as I'd taken the medication and I felt better, I saw no reason to change my lifestyle, 
um, you know what what my drivers were in life, and so I would I would continue on. And uh, you know those periods were two three months of of not really being able to work properly, not being able to go outside as much because you know you sort of develop a bit of agoraphobia and various things. And you know we can talk more about that, but um, but fundamentally I didn't change my lifestyle, and so I was continuing to work hard, play hard. You know, working till two in the morning, uh, going out on on uh, work. Benders, yeah. uh, whether they be kind of social ones or, or allegedly work-related yeah. <laughs> uh, events, um, you know, trips abroad with with sales teams and what have you, and so so my life was was not in balance for sure. Um, whether it was lack of edu- lack of uh, exercise, whether it was drinking too much, whether it was you know, wrong diet, yeah. it was a, a mixture of things. But I was young and uh, had endless amounts of energy and just seemed to be able to continue to to plow on but I didn't listen to to my body I didn't listen to my brain that was that was sort of crying out for help <laughs> um, and ironically it was the it was the pause that we all got forced upon us yeah, by COVID yeah. um, and that coincided with effectively a, a, a third uh, dip in in my mental health um, where you know, I had a, a moment, just a completely different way of looking at this, which was, look, this is, this is ridiculous, you know, because it coincided with just having effectively realised all my dreams yeah. in terms of my success or, you know, whether that be financial or otherwise. Um, this, is, this can't be right. <laughs> this can't be right. <laughs> Something needs to change. And so, and so yeah, that's, that's really what sort of triggered the last couple of years of self-reflection. And, um, yeah, I'm in a... I'm in a a very different place nowadays. Yeah. I still don't like public speaking. I still find this a little bit nerving, <laughs> nervy, but uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's different. It's different. That's amazing. Thanks for sort of sharing. I, I, guess, I guess like so many people like look at that and look at your journey, I guess, and, and like you say, with the, with those struggles, because we, we all, I guess, like you say, maybe want to achieve that euphoria moment that we promise ourselves mm. that you get to the end of that and is that put and like you're saying you're, you got there and realised that potentially it wasn't that fulfilment like uh, achieving financial wealth to a degree that there's not then that fulfilment you have to then look back at that and and reflect and like I said you mentioned about obviously some sort of sacrifices a, a, along the way but you, you've been with your partner since you, you your wife since you're 17 yeah and, like, talk to me a little bit about that that like that relationship I guess that, that obviously you know I've been married a similar amount of time and, and been with my wife like, but that obviously the pressures potentially on that as well in within a within the environment where you're working so hard to achieve that those goals and those things yeah sure um yeah, I mean, she she will she will have seen it more you know better than anybody in terms of the toll mm. that these things took on me at different times, um, and, and just to be clear, you know, I mean, not everybody will will have the same struggles that I had mm. uh, in, in the same position. You know, I, I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve, and uh, I, I'm very emotionally connected to the business. So mm. when something wasn't going well or people were unhappy, I would feel it yeah, yeah, personally, yeah, sure. feel it. Um, you know, and, and so everybody's di- built a different way. Yeah, so not yeah, everybody yeah, sure. has that. Um, but certainly having, you know, having stability away from work was massively important. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think, I, I, you know, I know I'm incredibly fortunate to have had somebody who is 
very balanced. Yeah. You know, she's a Libra, and um, she, you know, she just has a relaxed way about her in terms of keeping me keeping me on an even keel, and you know, she's not afraid to, to tell me when I'm working too much. Um, and um, and certainly when when things were difficult, you know, she was a massive support. Also, you know, my my mum. I sadly lost my dad when I was quite young, um, but um, you know, my family around me have, have certainly you know been a massive support. And and friends. And look, ultimately, when the chips are down, that's when you find out who your true friends are—the ones who are reaching out unprompted and just making sure that you're okay. Um, but in terms of you know, in, in terms of, I'm always conscious when somebody says, "Oh, what sacrifices you make," and I think. People say, oh, "What were the what were the biggest struggles that you had running the business?" And I, I feel, I almost feel slightly. Well, you know, what struggles did we have? You know, we're, we're lucky enough to be in a, in a sector and in an industry that is very, very robust. Mm. You know, we went through the two thousand and eight global recession completely unscathed. Um, we've gone through arguably a much more difficult time mm. over the last two years in terms of, of of trading, and and lots of industries have suffered far, far, far more than we mm. we ever will. Um, and the business model is one where a very high percentage of our revenue and profit is recurring, contracted recurring. Yeah. So it's not as though we're having to start every month from zero and and fight yeah. for every pound. So it is it is different. So I don't feel necessarily that we've had a really, really difficult journey. Um, there's been loads and loads of very challenging moments yeah. along that journey. How does, co- how does COVID fit into that? Like the last two years, compared like eighteen years of running a, two decades of running a business, like like you say, recession up, ups and downs, and fortunate to to get through all those. But how, how does COVID fit into those challenges? Would that be up there with the? Undoubtedly, yeah, undoubtedly. Um, everyone's experience was different during COVID for sure. And if I if I look back prior to that, some of the things that we that we had to deal with, you know, whether it was being sued by previous employer or um, you know employee challenges uh, over a number of years and invariably you get them when you've had as many <laughs> employees as we have um, you know there have been some challenging times but I think I think when COVID came along look you have a you have a responsibility as an as a as a business owner you you know we're employing as I said nearly 800 people now but at the time you're probably 550 people and they're looking to you for guidance for yeah. some sense of it's going to be okay um, and the reality is I didn't know it was going to be okay <laughs> you know I was sitting at home thinking shit this could be pretty bad um, so we all have business plans and we have, we have you know things that we plan for like you said you always had your five year plan probably global pandemic not in that not in that plan no <laughs> no, recovery plan. And, no and really and really 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 interestingly uh, for me anyway um when we went through, so we, we sold 25% of the business to an investor in early, or 6th of March, 2020. So I think lockdown was the 23rd of, yeah, of March. Yeah, yeah. So it was a couple of weeks beforehand. And it was a very fraught period. Um, anybody who's gone through a private equity transaction will know that it's incredibly intense. It sort of started six to nine months before we actually transacted. And, and it is full on to, to a point that I would never have imagined. In part, that's because the learning curve is so steep. So if you've, if you've not lived and breathed that world before, um, you know, for many years, actually, you could argue that we knew what we were doing. Most days were similar. The yeah. challenges were similar. But all of a sudden, this was a completely new new thing. Yeah, sure. um, 
and we had Brexit formally happening in the January of that year. Um, so we were formally coming out of the EU in the January. We had a snap election in the December. Yeah. Bear in mind, we're a telecoms and IT business. One of our core products is broadband. And you had Jeremy Corbyn saying he was going to give free broadband to everybody. <laughs> wow. Right in the middle of us negotiating with yeah, investors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can imagine it was a pretty stressful time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we had the elation of getting that deal over the line and arguably realizing all of those dreams and aspirations that, that, that we'd had. Um, and then within a matter of days, we were testing to see whether we could send all our staff home and work from home, you know, implementing our work from home policies. And, and then obviously had the news that the whole country and frankly, the whole world was going into lockdown. Yes. It, it definitely wasn't in the plan. And, you know, I look back and think to myself, you know, those investors were putting a lot of faith in us yeah. and, and they'd just written a pretty big check. Um, yeah. And two weeks later, <laughs> you, you, you know, are we going to be able to trade? What's going to happen? So for everyone involved, from, from, from us as, as business owners to, to the investors, to the staff, yeah. there was just a huge amount of uncertainty. Um, and how, how do you then, as a, as a leader, I guess, at that point, because I want to talk, I really want to delve into about culture of yeah. the company as well, but how do you then, I guess, as a leader as well, rally the troops, I guess, you got that many staff to go, you know, do you, do you just openly communicate and say, look, we don't actually know what the, what, what the situation is. No one knows what, what's going on in the future, but we're in this together and we're, we'll get through it or? Yeah, that's no, a really, really good question. I think um, my approach was to be very, very visible uh, and communicate on a daily basis mm-hmm. uh, at a level that we probably wouldn't normally communicate. So we were sharing detailed strategies with our entire workforce about how we were managing cash flows, um, how we were dealing with the influx of calls. Obviously, in the industry that we're in, arguably, I would say we'd gone from being, well, you know, telecoms, IT, pretty boring, to critical. Yeah. You know, we, we were enabling businesses to transition to home working through the use of various different technologies. Yeah. Uh, and invariably, we were inundated with, with calls, you know, sort of four or five times the volume of number of inbound calls we'd normally get so we were redeploying uh telesales teams to work in credit control in the service desk you know we very quickly had to repurpose the business uh to to accommodate the shift in, yeah. in what businesses needed um but ultimately people were as we all were right listening to absolute horrors on the news on a daily basis and it, it just felt that people needed reassurance so I started, uh, became a bit of a labor of love in the end, but I started a daily email, um, which became something that allowed staff to, perhaps if they wanted to not even read the news or listen to the news. So I would kind of give a synopsis of what had been going on, the announcements that had been made by the the government that day, um, giving an update on the state of the business, almost a kind of red, amber, green, uh, you know, are there are particular areas where we're worried and we need everyone to rally around and what yeah. have you. Um, you know, you had parents thinking about what are they going to do if their kids can't go to school. You had, you know, people who obviously were living with people with various different conditions where they might not be able to come to work. Yeah. And so we just tried as much as possible to alleviate those stresses and make it clear that, look, fundamentally, what this all boils down to is we're a team and, you know, we kind of 
we'll be fine yeah. together. Um, and it was, it was, um, I, I th- in a way I thrived on it. I think eventually actually it became a bit of an emotional burden um, because I was feeling, I was getting such wonderful feedback from staff yeah. that I felt like I couldn't stop. Yeah, <laughs> I needed yeah, to continue yeah. to write these on a daily basis. And I would find you know, inspirational quotes or inspirational videos or what have you just to sort of Brilliant. top and tell the emails. Um, and it just, yeah, it just gave that sense of, of unity and togetherness. And actually look, you know, reflect back it's all well and good being, you know, growing and being successful. Um, and you can say, yes, we did it, aren't we great? But actually we saw the best of the business during the hardest time. Amazing. Um, and and that, that culture, that sense of family, that sense of unity, which is always there, yeah. was, was absolutely at the forefront of the business. Um, and they're more, you know, and I think it's that, it's that recognizing that these are more than just they're not just numbers they're not just you know people on your payroll you know each one of these people has got parents and children and they're all in different situations as do we as are we and so just as I would expect them to recognise that I've got kids and a family and uh, I have worries you know they're in exactly the same situation uh, and they what they just wanted was reassurance it's, 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 it's brilliant it's lovely to hear actually and like, especially of that, of that magnitude I guess of the amount of staff I'm, I'm really interested to see like, as though for when you and Ralph first started and the two of you and as the business grew over the years as is, is that, is that culture of, I'm assuming that the culture <laughs> had to change um, but or, or maybe not but did you have some core values that you started out with at the business at the start that still filter through now to to where the business is grown at eight hundred staff. I mean, yeah. how, how do you how do you manage that, that that transition? I can tell you that we you know we knew exactly what we were doing and it was all <laughs> planned. But the reality is, Sam, we've been winging it ever since the beginning. We started the business. Um, love that. I love that. Uh, no, I mean we you know we core values at twenty one and twenty three. You know, I don't know if we knew what our own personal values were, let alone yeah, business values. Sure. Um, no, I think. The lessons learned. I mean, in, in all your, in all your, in all the jobs you ever do, and all the experiences you have in life, you figure out what you like, what you don't like, what you think is fair, what you think is not fair, and you try to whatever extent you can to draw on those experiences to then set the ground rules, if you like, yeah. uh, within the business. So, um, you know, we didn't set up with a, a set of value words or proposition around values, but what we had experienced in previous employment. Uh, was moving the goalposts. You know, we'd 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 both work for somebody who who seemed to be quite happy to to move the commission structures, to move things around, and mm-hmm. and you know that just it it, it erodes trust and it yeah. erodes loyalty. And for us, it's very short-sighted. One of the most common problems for someone in the telephony industry, in particular, was a propensity for salespeople to work for someone for a period of time and then leave and set up their own business. Mm. So, you know, our commission structures and our way of um, supporting and developing staff was was all with a view to retaining people. So, you know, if it, it might mean that in some cases those people would end up earning a lot of money, but actually you shouldn't have a glass ceiling. You know, if you're, mm. if you're going to 
clip their wings and 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 sort of make it devoid of aspiration in a sales function, then you're not going to get the best people. Um, yeah. You need to you need to have that for me at the centre of of the business. And I would you know I would I would say it's a sales led business yeah. that has its own challenges. And anybody who works in any of our <laughs> operational functions uh, will know that you know that that does cause some challenges yeah. because sometimes you're you know you're selling things almost before you know quite how to deliver it yeah. um, and you know we've, we've had certain salespeople who are probably most synonymous with that I won't n- mention any names on here <laughs> um, but Vicky Rishbeth who's our, our, our ops director or was our ops director technical director now um, you know she will have seen she will have had to manage that yeah. um, and, and of course that that creates a bit of a them and us culture sometimes within within businesses and that's very very common yeah. so there are always challenges like that um, separation between sales and operations that you're trying to manage yeah. but trying to manage it in a way that doesn't detract from the entrepreneurial spirit of the business yeah. so I'd say that's one of our key fundamentals is being you know having having a real entre- entrepreneurial flair um, a sales drive uh, an aspirational approach um, within the business but then having some core values around respect honesty and integrity mm. um, alongside that so it's not like you know you do you hear these boiler room type businesses where yeah, it's, sure. it's a it's a quite divisive and uh, a negative place to work you know we we work really hard to to avoid that and protect that and and there've been times over the years when i would say we've got that balance wrong yeah and there's been times when when we've got that much better uh, and that fluctuates as people in the teams change yeah. um, you know you can get it only takes one bad apple, yeah, of course, you yeah. know, to yeah, yeah. Uh, to cause issues. Um, and sometimes you're a bit slow in realizing who they might be. Um, so, so yeah, it's you know, I flippantly say we make it up as we go along, but there is a bit of that. Yeah, there is a bit of that. That's great to hear. Like, I think, and and, and the more, like I said, I, I spoke to you a bit offline before before we started, and you know, I think it's it's so refreshing to actually hear something like that where you go, we are we are we have what we've winged it over the years because so many people maybe people listening are thinking oh, I want to start my own business but I haven't got this in place yet or I don't know this or you know I haven't got any business knowledge I've never done it before and I don't you know ultimately what I get from most people is you wing it we wing it we go out there and obviously you learn and experience then comes in and then you have got more to offer and you can put more structures and stuff in place but at the start to get going just got to believe in yourself I guess and yeah and I think also if you want to grow dynamically I think often for example we'll 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 talk to um, investors who openly admit they're not operators they don't run businesses they invest in good businesses yeah often people who've run a business at scale when they then try and start a new business is they apply what they've learned and try and grow a new business in that way and that means starting with processes and policies but that can have the opposite effect because all of a sudden you have rules too early Um, and you know anyone who's who's got kids will understand the the wonderful thing about children growing up is they don't they're not constrained by you know we touched on it at the beginning they're not constrained by a sense of necessarily what the boundaries are and what the limits of their aspirations might be so I think you have to be you have to be flexible enough to um, to allow that entrepreneurial spirit yeah. um, and just create a sort of a broad sense of guidelines around what is acceptable and what is yeah. not acceptable 
and I think that just fundamentally comes from your your core values Um, and I think Ralph and I probably have very similar core values Um, as you get much bigger I think the challenge is how do you so when we went through our process um, getting investment people would invariably say what's the you know what's the secret sauce how do you how have you been more successful in your peers how have you grown organically so fast when the sector as a whole isn't really growing mm-hmm. um, and it was it's quite difficult sometimes to put put your finger on exactly what that is so we we coined the phrase well I didn't but um, our RFD James coined the phrase stardust um, and that stardust is a makeup of lots of different things culturally we talk about um, yeah. entrepreneurialism it's a lot more than that and so for us it's now how do we how do we embed how do we make sure that within all of our management team, those values and those ways of working are just fully embodied within, within, that, within that part of the business? Because, you know, in time, Ralph and I will take more of a step away from the business. Mm. We'll talk more about, obviously, other projects yeah. that we've got going on. The concern for me is when I'm there, I can encourage people to behave in a certain way and I can encourage people to to stick to some of those core values but as you step further and further away from the business and those degrees of separation increase mm. how do you maintain that yeah. beyond that part? so I don't think it's so much an issue of size I think it's an it's an issue of um, who's in the business to be able to make sure those values remain and so we're doing a piece of work at the moment that's less around um, it's less of a traditional way of, of looking at values so very often people will have keywords you know ours are respect integrity teamwork ambition those are our our four values well who doesn't want those values who doesn't want everyone to be respectful and to have integrity and to be ambitious and they're just buzzwords um and and that's kind of the playbook of of growing a business is is doing this piece of work on culture but it goes a level deeper it's like actually how do you how do you enact those um those values how do you encourage people to fail fast i.e. how do you give people permission to get it wrong without feeling like they're going to be overly yeah, punished yeah. how do you um, encourage managers to take a, a more relaxed approach to sickness or, or, or holiday you know actually understanding that these people are often giving far more than they're technically paid to give yeah. and making sure you give something back um, and so it's, yeah. it's empowering those people throughout the ranks of your business to be able to carry on in that same vein because that would be my, my worry would yeah. be you know one day I'll step step away and what makes well, it special then you know is lost so well, I guess if, if like you say if you if that's entrenched that culture and those values that are entrenched in the people that you've you've got within the business buy into that and I guess because of course you, growing a, a business to that side you would have lost people over the way but I'm sure there's people that are have been there for longevity and Lots, where you've yeah. Ca- yeah so um, some that I've known like from you know in the sales and um, uh, so, so you, you've from a cultural point of view if you've, if you've entrenched that into them people and that's what they bought into and that's uh, as this focus group family that you've tried to create then potentially it is a situation where you start to step back and actually that's in, embedded in there right to the core of the business and and that's going to be okay even if we do step away that's my hope that's my hope and i think and i think you know largely i think we've achieved that already you know we've got some amazing people who you know are really really committed to to sort of taking taking the business on 
and, and maintaining those values. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. It's harder in the in the acquired businesses where we've done lots of M and A in the last few years. Yeah, buying sure. Businesses who you know have a different, completely different, different culture. Well, you know they're in a different country. You know yeah, we've got yeah. offices in Inverness. We've got you know offices in yeah, Exeter, yeah. and and these are these are you know a fair distance from from our office, and so they've got different they've got different cultures. But actually, again, you know when you're buying when you're buying businesses. If you if you know you're inheriting staff, again, one of the things that's important is looking at their culture. Yeah. Is it something that is going to fit similar, you? even if it's not the same? Yeah, yeah. Is it something that's similar? Um, how, how are you on that? Because you mentioned earlier about the sort of the, the sales environment, and sometimes that boiler room environment that you potentially people would think of, um, and that can be quite hard driven and, and etc. But how, how are you, you alluded to it a little bit there, and more maybe soft skills from managers, and how, how, what's your sort of take on that around? that sort of relationship where people like you say being a little bit more lenient with certain things do you think has that changed from the managerial side of stuff through covid because people have reflected a bit more do you think or is that something you've always been aware of over the last the last few years yeah i think i think we have i think um it can be quite difficult because if you've got top performers who are from a from a sales figures perspective mm smashing out of the park doing yeah, an yeah. amazing job but uh, are at odds with your with your values are almost inciting the wrong kind yeah, of yeah. attitudes in the office then it's a really hard thing to do to yeah, sure. even consider to cut those things away yeah, yeah. Um, you know we're fortunate now um, that I don't think we have any of those but um, I suppose what COVID did do was give businesses the opportunity not to have to have everyone in the office all the time yeah sure so you could argue now that if you do have a challenging personality in a sales environment you can give them the flexibility to work from home more often and then you know you've sort of partially dealt with the situation yeah, yeah. but i think i think generally speaking um experience tells me that if you've if you've got a bad egg in any any area of the business no matter how good they are you should 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 probably try and to get rid to address that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's I, I, I touch on culture a lot only because I, I find it. You know, I, I think I, I, when I first met you, I'd obviously I'd closed the salon by then, and mm. I, you know, but ultimately I've I've got the culture wrong there. You know, mm. small scale, ten staff or whatever, but just. I find it fascinating, especially getting to to a point of that stage where you know eight hundred staff and 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 different elements of like you said, there's different different elements of the business that you've got and potentially different cultures in those, like from operational to to sales potentially. But as long as people are in silo, and I think ideal. I mean, ideally, uh, I mean, this is where, especially when you're scaling a business, this is where being thoughtful in your recruitment is really important. So. Mm. You, I would certainly promote employing based on attitude rather than capability. Yeah. You can teach capability, you can teach skills. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, you can't change somebody's attitude. Yeah. If they're lazy, they're probably always going to be lazy. If yeah. they're disruptive, they'll probably always be disruptive. Yeah. Um, so, but it's very easy when you're in that high growth phase to look at a CV and and say I need that in my business yeah. just based on their experience and what they've done before but actually you'll do more damage than good if yeah. you hire the wrong people um, I remember my wife she worked for Virgin for a number of years Virgin Atlantic 
and um, I was lucky enough to meet Richard on a couple of occasions and obviously read his books and uh, as a as a as the husband of somebody who worked for the business even I could feel the culture within Virgin Atlantic and they used to describe it I think it was Virgin Flair so everybody you met that worked for Virgin Atlantic in whether it was on customer service roles whether it was in training my wife was a trainer um, they all had something about them they were all fun energetic um, positive people Um, and I think you know I think that's one of the things that when you're when you're hiring is is like you know what are those key attributes that you want from a personality perspective um, and then and that. then train in the skills afterwards. I, lo- I love that. I, I'd be interested to see what, what's your take of then around sort of education and stuff because I'm I, I I think you know the don't want to bad mouth the education system in the sense it's broken or anything, but I do think that you know we don't, we don't necessarily it's very structured, it's very archaic in the way it, it does. So even when it comes to employing people, you know, on a, on a CV that it is based more on who you are as an individual as opposed to what qualifications you've got would you say that from a from an employer that that's something you look at more so now than you did before like cause people come out of you know i felt my levels you come out uh, entrepreneurship's not wasn't encouraged necessarily you know when i was at school mm. 20 odd years ago 30 mm. years ago so where it is encouraged a little bit more now mm. and i think like with your kids and stuff growing up like what, what what's your take on them going to university for example is that the route that you'd like them to go down do, do you think oh, I just want them if they come to you with an entrepreneurial idea what, what what sort of what's your take about education and that side of it yeah I mean I, I have I have um, probably a newfound respect actually for for um, for schools recently worked on a project or are working on a project with um, Shoreham Academy um, mentoring uh, yeah. sort of year 9 year 10 year 11 um, kids there and the the limited resources they have mm. causes a real challenge. Yeah, sure. So we have to be a bit criti- a bit careful before we're too critical. Yeah. But I think certainly there is too much emphasis on 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 exam results, or not necessarily the results, but it's other aspects of learning that just I feel are lacking. Mm. I wish somebody had taught me. I wish I'd had a lesson on breathing when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, I've learned over the last couple of years the importance of, of breathing. I'm doing it very badly today, by the way. I'm very, <laughs> very much up in my chest yeah. and slightly, <laughs> slightly erratic. That's the, that's the nurse. But you know, the, the importance of belly breathing, the importance of, of, uh, of diet and all sorts of other things that, that you know, and the, the benefits of meditation, the importance of sleep, just yeah. understanding the, some of these, really critical things about who we are and how we operate and how to get the most out of ourselves but actually we focus entirely on whether or not you can do algebra yeah, you know? yeah, now yeah, don't get me wrong there are several times now I think about you know not all my subjects but I, I, I think about certain things I've done at school and I think actually I'm good at those things because mainly around maths and English yeah, 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 yeah. more so than sort of other subjects so I, I would never I would never sort of underestimate the importance of of getting a good education, yeah. but but I but I think there is there is a lot more that we can educate our children in yeah. um, that would be hugely beneficial for them, um, and I think that is slowly starting to happen. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. seeing it with my my um, my son is nine, and you know, I think he's definitely had some classes where they were 
they were doing about meditation and breathing yeah. and well-being and and what have you you know certainly we didn't do that when i was and, and more like that, those, those sort of life skills like building relationships and that type of thing in regards to how you communicate with people and stuff within the, within a social environment for example yeah um that those type of skills the life lessons that potentially i guess at, that, that we can teach i guess as parents as part of our role to te- teach them that as well but from a i think in school if they're able to from my point of view I look at that and go rather than be measured necessarily on right that's your test if you've got that result right that's your whether you're a success or failure for example yeah and I mean it's a massive issue that there is a there's a sense of this is what the uh, you know if we if we had a a factory spitting out our children Mm. this is what it should look like this is this is the education they should have had this is the grades they should have got this is the sort of person they should be from a really early age it's a problem because yeah. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it's a really, really good point. So obviously in life you have extroverts and you have introverts mm-hmm. and most people who know me through work probably think I'm a bit of an extrovert. Actually, I'm very much an introvert. But at school, it would be very commonplace for somebody to get a, um, a report card that said, you know, little Jimmy needs to be... Uh, we need to speak up more. Yeah. They need to talk more in class. They need to participate more in class. Mm. They need to be better at public speaking. Yeah. Do they? <laughs> Is that actually who they are? Yeah. Why do they need to be all of those things? Actually, if you've got a child who is more introverted, doesn't like to, to have the limelight on them, then why are we all trying to educate in a way, our children in a way that suggests that they are comfortable doing those yeah. things? In actual fact, we should be embracing the fact that they're an introvert yeah. and saying, okay, given that you're an introvert, what are, what are the skills that you have, maybe around empathy or could yeah. be all sorts of things that, that, that. traditional um, extroverts don't have. Mm. Um, and we don't do that. We have a one-size-fits-all um, educational policy. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, some of our children feel at odds all yeah. the way through their, their, their school, school life because they, they're told you're not... The byproduct yeah. that we want you to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not tick, you don't fit into that box, and you're yeah, not ticking that. Yeah. Which is which is which is really really sad. And and often as parents, we're guilty of that because yeah. we we perceive those things to be strengths. Yeah. And and yeah, in certain certain circumstances, they can be strengths. Yeah. But you can be just as strong, having having different skill sets, yeah. um, just in a different way. Um, in, as far as university is concerned, I didn't go to university. Yeah. I chose not to go to university. Mainly because I'd spent two years going to the pub while I was at college and I realised I'd just spend another three or four years doing the same thing if I went to uni. Um, much to my parents' dismay, given they were both teachers. Um, what, what do they think? Obviously, now you've become very successful. When you first you decided not to go to university then and you did start your own business at 23, what was their view on that? I'm interested to... Know. So, I... Um, so... Sadly, I lost my dad when I was 20, so he never got to see me start Focus. But, um, but I can answer the question, I suppose, from the point where I said, I'm not going to uni. Sorry, what? <laughs> uh, what do you mean you're not going to uni? <laughs> um, so there was, but I, there was never, there was never a, I was never kind of castigated for that decision. I was never yeah. made to feel that it was necessarily the wrong decision. Um, however, 
I then so I then went I worked for um, I worked for a bank for two years and um, when I came home one day and told them that I'd left the bank to go and start selling mobile phones <laughs> that was the point at which my dad said you you what because <laughs> he was quite old school and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know as often was the case that you know that generational gap they looked at you know you work for a bank that's a career for life right yeah. you're just going to stay in the bank and eventually become a bank manager and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're, you're set um, and so when I came kind of came home and told him that I think he was a bit confused yeah, yeah. Um, but again that's a, that's a generational thing we live in a very different world you know, people yeah. are it, you know, has its own, own challenges for a business owner because people are much more transient they don't yeah. They don't stick in a job and go, right, I'm here for forever. Yeah, Unless yeah, you're exactly. delivering what they want out of that job, yeah. they're going to go and find another job. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think it came as a bit of a shock. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think my mum still quite understands what I do. I think she still <laughs> thinks that I sell mobile phones. Um, probably doing her an injustice. But, um, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, look, I know, I know that, I know that my mum's really proud of, of yeah, what we've yeah, done, sure, um, sure. which is which is obviously lovely. Um, but, well, um, I think it's that generational thing. I, I, a reason I ask similarly, I guess my mum my and dad were very old school, not entrepreneurial in any way, and just I think they, you know, I looked at it in the same, in the similar type of thing. Still, like I'm running these businesses that I've done for 15 years, different businesses. And I've that one closed, but I've started this one and I'm doing the X, Y, and Z. But still, don't really get. Are you, you, you going to get? A, proper job yeah <laughs> yeah like, okay. well i've actually got a proper job <laughs> anyway that's you know what i mean it's this it's just interesting to see the different generational yeah uh, and i think and i think if i look at if i look at work if i look at the people in our senior teams there's a good mix of people who have gone to uni and ha- haven't gone to uni yeah and i and i wouldn't necessarily in some roles it's, it's a real help yeah. for sure um but i'm very happy for my kids to do whatever they choose to do yeah, yeah. um Obviously, I'm in a fortunate place to be able to yeah. support them in whatever they do choose to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think unless you've got, I'm not sure if I'm a fan of going to uni just for the sake of going to uni. Yeah, I think if you know what you want to go and do, and, and it requires a degree, yeah. then I get it 100%. I yeah. think it's a great thing. Um, but I think if you if you're not sure what you want to do, then just have a year off. Yeah, go and travel. Yeah. Why get yourself in masses of debt? Yeah do two years of a media degree and then drop out and go yeah. oh well, that was a bit of a waste of time yeah. and I see that a lot yeah sure that, an awful lot yeah um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely in agreement like my, so my wife is a criminal we've been together since we were at school but she always wanted to be a solicitor so she had to go to university yeah. to get a degree to do that and that's that's been her focus from a very young age yeah. so great and if the kids come to me and say you know the twins come to me and go I want to do x y and z and it involves them going to university then of course brilliant mm. I encourage that but I'm exactly the same. I think they come just, just want to go. I don't really know what path. I'm exactly the same. Like there's a big world out there. Travel, get experience, and life experience that we might. Uh, yeah, life's long now as well, right? Yeah. So we 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 still operate in a way that we kind of perceive that okay, you know, you're going to retire when you're whatever age. And but I think it was the stat I read the other day was like if you were born after 2000, there's a 40 percent chance you're going to live to your 100. Yeah. Well, if you're retiring in your 60s. That's a long, long time, time. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually between 20-odd and 65, and of course that, that retirement age is going to get pushed back. Yeah, so course, actually yeah. if you're in your, if you're sub-20 today, by the time you get to retirement age, it's probably going to be like 80. <laughs> yeah, That's a yeah. long time working. Yeah, yeah, sure, so I think sure. if you get the opportunity and you've got the means to, to take yeah. a bit of time to figure out who you are, yeah. That's probably a bit 
as good an investment. I won't say better. Yeah. It's probably as good an investment. It's come back to my point earlier. If I'd if if I'd have had some of the knowledge that I allegedly have now yeah. um, back then in terms of self awareness, knowing yeah. what makes you tick. Yeah. If I'd have you know if I'd have spent a year or so traveling around Tibet or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, I sure. probably would have learned an awful lot about myself yeah. that I could have put to good use later on. So amazing. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I want to just, before we move on to something, I just want to delve a little bit back, because one of the blogs that you've written, we've obviously touched on the mental health side of it, and obviously I'm looking, we're recording this around, you know, World Mental Health Days mm. coming up, which we're looking to release the episode on. So I know you, you put um, the blog that you wrote, Where, where Does Your Ladder Lead, which mm. I found fascinating, and it, it's really interesting, like you said, as you sort of alluded to, getting to that point where you've achieved all your goals, and um, but the, the, that euphoria moment, I guess, where you've you know financially wealthy, but just not feeling fulfilled. Just so keen to to explore just that little bit more about delve a little bit deeper into that that mindset around that time and where you are right now mm. in regards to fulfilment. I guess <laughs> have you got to a place now where you feel like that? Or um, I'm certainly in a in a place where I better understand myself and um, I'm more. At at peace with who I am and 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 actually does it matter what other people think actually if you if you know in your own heart that you're you know that you've that you've done your best and that you're a decent person and you know it, it comes down to I think you know we could all spend a bit more time listening and learning to uh to the lessons that have been learnt by other people. Mm. So over the last couple of years, listening to podcasts, uh, I listen to Rich Roll. Um, so um, you know, he's a he's a for me, I think just a hugely inspirational person. He he and he and he interviews. Or he you know he has these podcasts with with a whole range of different inspirational people, and the, and the themes are the same. That what really matters is faith, family, friends. And work that serves other people, um, and if you focus your attention on those areas, then you are setting yourself up for happiness, whatever happiness looks like for different people. If you if you if you make the assumption that achievement, whatever achievement is, mm. is going to make you happy, generally speaking, you're probably setting yourself up for failure in terms of how you're going to feel. Um, I think people, some people call it striver's curse. Mm. It's, it's really common for what the outside world would look at as high achievers to be thoroughly miserable. Yeah. Um, and there are loads and loads of cases of, of this. Um, probably some of them more widely uh, known tend to be sports people who've reached the pinnacle of their sport. Um, I can't remember the chap's name, but there's an... Olympic diver, not Tom Daly, uh, who he was talking on a show the other day, and he was saying how, you know, he'd obviously trained all his early life to, to to become great at this sport, and then he became British champion, and he wasn't satisfied, and he became European champion, and he still didn't feel that he'd achieved, you know, his his, yeah. his goals, and then Commonwealth champion, and then eventually, you know, world champion and Olympic champion, and he just went into absolute spiral of depression because he you know understandably it's like well if that's the pinnacle of 
everything you've been working towards and you don't feel happy having achieved it, who are you? What, yeah. what are you? You know, what, what's your purpose? Mm. Um, you know, ben Fogel talks about it when he summited Everest. Yeah. He then went through months of depression afterwards because what else is there? You know, if, you're, if, if that's what you've set yourself up to achieve in life and that's yeah. become your identity, then who are you if, if you haven't found fulfillment or a sense yeah. of achievement in, in, in that? And I think for me, um, you know, I think I probably, certainly for a number of years, was a bit of a workaholic, certainly a perfectionist. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, we didn't set, interestingly, one of the challenges I think is that we didn't set specific goals for quite a long time. And actually, when you do set specific goals, while it has, on one hand, um, a very positive impact because you, you know exactly what you're going after and sometimes you get to that goal quicker than if you just let things sort of float along. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think I'd done the work to understand what it might feel like if I actually got all my dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've said this to several people since, but, you know, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be in a situation where you, you achieve financial freedom, on the road to that, the people you're most likely to be recommended to speak to are investment managers. Right, so oh, you must go and talk to such and such. They'll help you with your money. Mm. Great. Nobody comes up and says, you need to go and see a life coach. You need to go and see a therapist. You need mm. to go and talk to somebody about who you are, what your motivations are, what you're going to do afterwards, how it's going to feel, yeah. um, the likelihood of imposter syndrome, uh, all the things that are, you know, when you start reading and you start listening, so common. Yeah, incredibly sure. common you know whether people like Tom Hanks you know yeah. really successful people who who suffer with imposter syndrome or, or or not not having a sense of ease of who they are and what they've achieved and that's exactly what happened to me you know I it, it took a while because Covid got in the way so mm-hmm. completed the deal 6th of March lockdown 23rd of March first two or three months was just you know how do we get through this so you know all efforts were put into that but when the dust settled uh, and the noise fell away uh, and I was left with just me I had this just horrible sense of unease of like what's it all about like so what Mm -hmm. Um, what next Um, and interestingly I would say that in in all the times where I've had poor mental health, it was very much around, I was suffering from panic attacks or I was suffering with anxiety. Mm. It was never about depression. I never felt down. Mm. Frustrated at you know, the fact that I was suffering from panic attacks and yeah, feeling yeah, anxious yeah, yeah, about yeah, stuff, sure. but never felt down. And for the first time ever, I, was, I felt low. I felt like, oh, this is pretty rubbish. I actually don't, I don't feel happy. I don't feel fulfilled. I don't mm. feel connected I don't feel like I've got purpose and that was the key word for me was I genuinely didn't feel like I had a purpose which is ridiculous yeah. right? because at the very foundation of who I was I was a husband and a father yeah. so if at the very least the only thing I ever did from then on was to be a great dad and a great husband yeah. that's enough right yeah. but for some reason in my head no no that's you know I, I there must be something else. more there must be something else 
Um, and I think, you know, ultimately it's about identity for me. So, again, if you think about, you know, famous actors or sports people or what have you, um, they they build an identity that is entirely entrenched in the, the way they're perceived by the public. You know, this is who they are. Mm. Uh, for me, everything I did was connected in some way to work. So if it was social engagements, they were nights out with friends that I worked with. They were corporate evenings with businesses that we worked with. They were golf trips with people I worked with. They were trips abroad with people I worked with. Mm. You know, it was obviously you had family holidays, but everything else in some way connected back to work. Um, and I would say I actually grew to hate that fact to the point where I remember, I can't remember what it, I had a focus branded something, I can't remember what it was in my office and I threw it away because I was like, I don't, I don't want it. Mm. I don't want to be constantly bombarded with that is who I am, that is my persona, that is my identity. Mm. Um, which is a really weird feeling, yeah. a really weird feeling. Um, and it's so, it just so happened that it co- coincided with, uh, I had a, a acute appendicitis in the June of, of 2020 and then a, an issue with um, reflux, which I'm sure were probably brought on by the, the bad eating and excessive drinking yeah. and stress that, that, that I'd had through the previous nine months getting to that transaction. Um, but it all happened at the same time. Um, and... And it was, you know, it felt it felt pretty debilitating. It made me question who I was and what my motivation was, and what would come next. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say that I suddenly found myself in really deep, dark depression. Mm. But I was conscious that it was different. Um, and yeah, and I, and I, I'm not one to to just kind of sit back and let it eat me up. Yeah. So I, you know, I communicated with my business partner and 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 um senior team and said look you know i'm not in a good in a good place um and and because i've not shied away from talking about my own challenges in the past it wasn't like some shock horror oh my what's wrong with chris you know it's like okay you know he's just not not great and so i just was able to just step back for for a few months and took the opportunity to sign up to a mindfulness class um and began seeing a, a counsellor um, and yeah it's never a, an overnight success right these things take time mm. but um, but I was able to sort of start to unpack some, some things that that I'd never really talked about or had never even been something that I was really aware of I was just yeah. I was so busy in that role of you know joint CEO and running the business and growing yeah. and that um, that I just wasn't really aware of it, um, and I did an eight-week mindfulness course. I then did a twelve-week follow-up, and it was during that twelve-week follow-up um, that uh, we we were doing a session. I've actually I've brought it with me because I can never remember the poem. But if it's all right with you, I will yeah. read out um, the poem that got read out on that day. So it's called the five. Uh, autobiography in five short chapters so chapter one I walk down the street 
and there is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I still don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. It isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's habit. It's my fault. I know where I am. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down a different street. Wow. And timing is everything. Yeah, yeah. And earlier that week, at the, the, the weekend prior, so this was on the Wednesday, I think, um, that I was on this mindfulness course where I read out that, that poem. On the prior weekend, I'd been at an amazing event uh, and it had been a, a it had been a, a long weekend of having an amazing time with some some great people, yeah. but lots of alcohol involved. Yeah. Um, and what what should have been an incredible fun weekend and a, almost a once in a lifetime experience um, resulted in me having the most horrendous hangover on the Sunday, and then an awful bout of anxiety on the Sunday evening, all day Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, just horrendous. All the demons come flooding in because for me, a hangover has very similar sensations and feelings to anxiety. So, so come the Wednesday, I'm having this um, mindfulness session, and he reads out the the poem. And I was listening to this poem, and it just it just spoke to me about my relationship with alcohol. Now I'd been journaling, and again I'd only started journaling because of uh, counselling sessions and listening yeah. to mindfulness and various podcasts but a combination of me having journaled for probably uh, four or five months up until that point and being able to look back at trends of behavior and how I was feeling on a day-to-day basis and then listening to this poem I thought to myself you know what on earth am I doing time and time again with alcohol where alcohol was concerned I was walking down this street knowing exactly where I was, doing exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. and then paying the consequences and suffering for days afterwards. And I sat there and I thought to myself, what am I doing? You know, and I've tried, uh, for me, chapter four means, which is what lots of people do, I know what I'll do, I'll drink less. I won't drink on a, on a weeknight, mm. I'll only drink at the weekends. But a relationship with alcohol, and this wasn't as though I was an alcoholic, but my mm. relationship with alcohol was such that when we did have a, a weekend where we had some, you know, event going on, like my 40th birthday, I remember, again, you know, sort of event where it was fantastic, but my God, I felt awful for two uh, or three days yeah, afterwards. Yeah, sure. And it just takes the, the enjoyment out of it because yeah, yeah. your, your memory is somewhat tainted. Obviously, you're not fully present during the, actual, yeah, yeah. during the actual event. So I've tried Chapter 4 several times, which is this controlled, okay, I'm walking, I'm stepping around the hole, yeah. right? But actually, every now and then, you still fall in. And I saw, so I decided, look, it's chapter five. I've got to walk down a different street. I've got to do something fundamentally different. Um, and that was the 3rd of July, 2021. That was the last day that I had a drink of alcohol. 
Um, and you haven't had a drink since. Haven't since had a drink then. since. Now, no. I, I'm very conscious not to say I'm I'm teetotal. I don't. I will never drink again. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Um, but I haven't had any sort of severe anxiety since. Um, very openly, I'm three weeks since I had my last uh, tablet, which I take for anxiety. So I'm a little bit vulnerable and, sure. uh, you know, kind of yeah. like uh, just a bit sensitive at the moment yeah. in terms of being. But that, but that self-awareness and that time that I've taken through mindfulness courses, through counselling, through life coaching and through listening to hours and hours and hours of podcasts Gosh, yeah. means that, you know, I just have tools that I didn't have available to me before. And I'm not fighting an uphill battle where every few weeks I'm suffering two or three days with a bad anxiety because yeah. I've had a, a few drinks. Um, so, you know, some people will go, oh, well, isn't it boring? You know, you're not able to have a drink. And, you know, for some people, they need alcohol to take yeah, away that, yeah. that, that, uh, that sort of nervousness in a social situation. And I'm very lucky that I don't have that yeah. because of the job I have done and yeah, all that sure. over the years. That's something that's quite natural to me anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I would I would implore people. It doesn't necessarily mean that people have to stop drinking, but I think anybody who is struggling with with any form of difficult mental health challenges or what have you is just invest the time in you, yeah. um, and that can be in all sorts of ways. But I think it, you, you, everyone will find their own their own source of of comfort, yeah. their own learning. Um, and yeah, so you know, just, just mate, uh, listen. Thank you so much for sharing. I, I, listening to you talk about that and that journey, I, I think you know, there's so many people out there that I'm sure will take so much from that. I, I, I certainly have, and I think um, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for you sharing that so openly with us. So, mate, thank you. I'm, no, no worries. I'm, I'm keen just. I, I generally, I, for the last 40 odd episodes or so I'd often asked about what success looks like to people um, but I'm really keen to change again that sort of narrative a little bit and I, I'm, I'm, I want to change that slide just to ask you like, what, what, what does happiness look like to you? Mm -hmm. Happiness, wow so, uh, so I, would, I would recommend anybody uh, who's on a journey of self-discovery mm -hmm. to definitely listen to, um, to the Rich Roll podcast and there's a, there's a great one um, by uh, Arthur C. Brooks and he says that the secret to happiness is not having more, it's wanting less. Um, and actually, it, I'm quite a mathematical person and I love the fact he's turned this into an equation. So if you were to work out your happiness score, it is literally adding up the number of things you've got of, 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 of some sort of materiality and then dividing it by the number of things you want. Um, and you know, it doesn't take a mathematical genius to realise that your score will be much, much lower if you have too many wants. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think it's about it's about finding. It's about it's about understanding what's an, what is enough, mm. what what makes you feel content. For me, being able to look myself in the mirror and know that I'm being true to myself, I think, is important. Mm. Um, I think if if no matter how successful I am, if I'm pretending to be somebody I'm not, then I know that, yeah. and that's not going to sit. That's not going to sit well with me. So my mentality around who I'm prepared to spend time with has changed. I'm not prepared to compromise and pretend that I'm friendly with people that I don't like. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone should compromise on their values and what's important to them. Um, getting outdoors uh, is is so so important, mm. and and you know COVID has shown us what an incredible country we live in, and yeah. and how you only have to walk down the end of your street or you know or go on a bike ride, and you're obviously in Sussex we're blessed with the downs and, yeah, and the seafront and the seafront yeah, and yeah. you know there's so much that you can just go and go and enjoy and there's so much joy that comes from those things and actually again it's about it's about just being present um, I've spent far too much of my life not consciously saying I will be happy when mm. but unconsciously having that approach yeah. which is that you know I'm working towards something and that's my that's always my goal that's always my goal that's always my goal and actually, uh, you know, the simplest things, if you give yourself the time and space to be present, will bring you absolute joy. Um, where all too often we're too busy reminiscing about things in the past, whether it's ruminating over things in the past or, yeah. or, or reliving past glories yeah. or, or looking to the future and saying, oh, I can't wait until that happens. I can't yeah. wait until this happens. Well, actually... And for a lot of us, what we've got right in front of us is already more than enough. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not anything complex. Yeah. I think it is it is just, you know, getting up in the morning, trying to see the odd sunrise, the odd sunset, um, spending time with loved ones um, and um, and helping other people. I mean, look, yeah. you know, that you get so much joy um, on what I get so much joy on whatever level yeah. supporting other people. You know, I was asking myself on the way in here, you know, it's almost like why did I say yes to coming onto the show, yeah, right? Yeah. And 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 for me, I think there's there's two things. We'll we'll talk about the foundation, and obviously, yeah, I want yeah. to try and promote that. Um, but but I think the reason I write these blogs is in part it's self-serving, right? It's really cathartic for me to to write this stuff. It's like yeah. you know, it's almost like talking to your counselor, right? Yeah. I can get yeah, this stuff yeah, down yeah, on paper. Yeah. Um, and I know from feedback from various people that that you know it it strikes a chord mm. um, and so if if writing these things helps just one person right for them to to feel confident enough to be able to be open and honest about the struggles that they're going through or the challenges they're facing then then that brings me great joy and a, and a great sense of purpose yeah, right? yeah. Um, so yeah amazing it brings us on really nicely um, to obviously about the folks so in 2020 you launched obviously the Focus Foundation so let's tell our listeners a little bit about that and I guess again the inspiration really for starting that I guess around obviously alluding to what makes you happy is helping people and, and like I, I can allude to it one of the main reasons I wanted to get get you on here one because I know that reading your blogs has helped me personally and I think um, listening to your story will help so many others as well so yeah just keen to tell us a little bit about the foundation and great yeah so yeah we launched the foundation uh in may last year and um that's 2021 and we the reason it's called the focus foundation clearly uh you know i'm running still running focus group and yeah. still uh still a major shareholder and um we have an amazing community across focus group of employees um of customers and of suppliers and so we so we want to take the opportunity to leverage those relationships to to do some good in the community mm -hmm. and um, we've chosen three pillars 
in terms of grant giving. So we're a grant making foundation um, to support underprivileged young people, uh, children and young people up to the age of 24 um, is, is one of our primary pillars and supporting mental health charities and initiatives is, is another. And then also because we're, we are that community of, of employees across nine offices around the UK, then the third pillar is it's really a kind of a catch-all that if there are charities or community projects that meet our other criteria, which I'll mention in a second, that are local to one of our offices, then then we will look to support them. It gives our staff the opportunity to get involved and engaged in um, in these projects. So it's very early days. Um, obviously, I've got a day job. Yeah. So this is all done uh, entirely uh, in, in the sort of spare time. And it's myself and my wife, Elaine, um, and uh, our PA, Mandy, who who supports with um, the work on the foundation. Um, to date, we've raised uh, about £65,000. We've wow. approved um, about £75,000 of the grants uh, across 16 different charities. Uh, we've done very little fundraising in reality. We did a golf day last year that raised just over £50,000. Um, wow. uh, but we've had staff uh, more recently doing doing various things. We've, uh, we've had a bunch of people throw themselves out of a plane this weekend just gone over wow. in Salisbury um, but that's a prime example yeah. <laughs> they you know that was a make that was people made up from our RSW comms office in Exeter it was people from HQ it was people from up in Scotland they all came together um, to uh, throw themselves out of a plane <laughs> at 10,000 feet uh, in the name of charity um, and you know why why the Focus Foundation I mean there are loads of there are loads of charities out there obviously we're not a doing charity we're a grant making foundation uh, and I think f- for me it's a few things so we, we've, we direct our funds really at grassroots charities they tend to be smaller charities so one of our criteria is um, charities with less than £2 million uh, annual income we also look for charities where we can be certain or at least pretty certain in terms of how the money is spent so we look for charities where there are low core costs so Typically under 35%. And what I mean by core, what we're looking for in those core costs are the big fat cat CEO salaries, the swanky offices in London, yeah. the things that donors often necessarily aren't necessarily aware of yeah, sure. um, that might be eating into the donations that, met, that they're making. Um, and somebody, I, I didn't sort of coin this, but somebody suggested that we're a bit like an investment manager, but in the philanthropic world. So um, donors can, you know, can, can put their money with us knowing that we will do fairly robust due diligence on the charities to make sure that the projects are impactful, as impactful as possible. You know, so we're assessing the scale of the charity, the governance of the charity. Um, we're, we're assessing the, the, the sustainability of the project um, and, and just making sure that, that people's hard-earned money is, is put to good use. Um, so it's, you know, it's... As I say, it's very early days. Yeah. Um, it's already been hugely rewarding. We've supported a range of projects um, from uh, Boxing Futures, for example, where we've we funded disability equipment so that they've got greater accessibility for their non-contact boxing. They've got uh, sites in London and Peterborough and uh, an inflatable gym so they can take that around um, around the country. And, and, and what they do there is they really sort of promote the benefits of, um, of non-contact boxing around mental health and coaching and um, yeah, it's an incredible charity. Locally to, to, to Brighton, we've supported um, Brighton Therapy Centre who um, 
have a, a fantastic model of providing mental health support to both fee-paying individuals, but also then taking a proportion of that fee-paying fund mm. and allowing people who can't otherwise afford mental health care to be able to to get access to it. We know there's huge waiting lists on the NHS, yeah, both yeah, sure. uh, for adults and also through the CAM system. So um, just by, by funding those, we're enabling people who, you know, quite possibly are at the lowest point of their life. Um, you know, our, our, um, our catchphrase is uh, connecting communities, changing lives. And, and with a project like Brighton Therapy Centre, it's sometimes more than just changing lives, it genuinely is saving lives because some of these people are at, at a pretty low moment in their sure. life. Um, and if you're in that state of mind and you can't get access to mental health care because of a lack of funding or what have you, then that's a, that's a really dark and lonely place to be. Yeah. So. Projects like that, they have an immediate impact. Um, so, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Well, mate, uh, what an amazing foundation. Look, I'm sure a lot of listeners and stuff will reach out and see how they can help and support and and, and get involved. And certainly, from a chat, look, from sitting on a board of a trust uh, as a trustee now at Brook and Horse as well, knowing that something like that potentially is out there to to be able to help. Uh, other other charities is, is amazing so mm. mate congratulations on thank that you, thank wish, you wish you wish you continued success with that but um look we're coming towards the end i just want a final question before we do our quick fire ones what, mm. what, does, what does the future hold for chris goodman so uh what does the future hold i i'm committed from a focus group perspective i'm committed to um kind of championing the voice of the people uh, so the staff and the customers are mm-hmm. making sure that the business, while it continues on its growth trajectory, um, looks after its people, looks after, looks after its customers. Um, these things can be can be challenging for sure as you yeah. as you're as you're growing, um, but I'm I'm committed to those. Um, my my aim with the foundation is is to get the foundation to a point where it is a um, a long term sustainable legacy that staff from Focus can get engaged in and local communities associated with and around our our offices can can engage with. Um, so that's going to be something that I'll certainly be putting a lot of my efforts into in the next few years. Um, and then outside of that, I'm, I'm almost intentionally not trying to um, to be too clear <laughs> on that because uh, actually I'm quite enjoying the journey of self-discovery I'm enjoying lots of the conversations I'm having with people um, and and actually I've spent a lot of time focusing on work and you know it's about time that I spend a bit more time focusing on me and my family so um, you know lots of nice holidays hopefully um, and yeah just just enjoying enjoying um, enjoying the, the the time and, and space that um, you know the, these years of, of of work have sort of now afforded me, yeah. Um, and so yeah, and and you know I really enjoy writing these blogs. So um, again, it's just making time to be able to do these things. So a book in the pipeline, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Well, mate, listen. Again, like I say, thank you so much for for coming on and being just really open openly and honest with us and and sharing your journey and your story because it is fascinating. And um, and like I say, for me personally 
reached out to you because I read your blogs and it really, you know, really resonates. And I think it's, um, I think it will help so many people. And I'm delighted that I'm going to be able to share this, like I say, around World Mental Health Day as well. So, mate, it's. Um, Thanks so much for, for doing that. And it's been, it's been a great conversation, and I knew it would be. So, look, we're going to finish, as always, with our, with our quick-fire questions. So, first one, one piece of advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? One piece of advice. I would put myself first. Love that. Love that. Who has been your biggest inspiration throughout your journey and why? Yeah, it's a really really good question uh, I think commercially I would say Richard Branson I think the my experiences of what Virgin looked like and felt like as as, as a, the partner of a, an employee um, culturally lovely business um, I think the downside is not necessarily knowing from an inspirational point of view that was tailored completely towards what I defined as success previously I mm. think I think now my inspiration comes from listening to the stories of a whole range of other people. Um, uh, there's a there's a there's a, a bunch of people that if, if you know if you're you know if you're looking for inspiration, whether mm. it's Joe DeSena, Arthur C. Brooks I mentioned before. Um, there's a whole host of people who who I've come across on on various podcasts who you know they've 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 lived a life and they've got amazing stories to tell. Um, and listening to their stories just inspires you to be a better version of you, but not from a financial perspective, not from a success perspective, just you know, just being a better human being, both yeah. for yourself, both for your family, both for your friends. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what inspires me now. Amazing, amazing. Um, could you recommend a business book or podcast for our listeners that has had an impact on you? Yeah, a few. So obviously, I mentioned Rich Roll's podcast yeah, a few yeah, times, yeah. and I would definitely would, would check that out. Um, and you know, a big shout out actually to um, to, to Chris Evans because uh, I know he was Marmite for for a number of years, and, and maybe still is for a few people. But um, it was through listening to the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show um, during COVID that I came across Rich Roll, and um, that's had a massive positive influence on me. And probably from that has then has then given me some of these sort of reading materials that I just mentioned. So. Um, there's an amazing book called Breath by James Nestor, which is uh, an incredible read around the science of breathing and the importance of, of uh, breathing well. And we do it very badly as a, as a species, so check yeah. that out. Um, I really, really enjoy Ryan Holiday. He's, uh, he's the author of The Daily Stoic. Um, so uh, he has a couple of books, uh, Ego is the Enemy and uh, Stillness is the Key. So I would, I would, again, I would check those out. These are great for kind of self-development and, 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 and learning. Um, business books, not so much. I'm not a massive fan, if I'm, if I'm yeah. really honest. I tend to come and go back, coming slightly back to my winging it comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's good to find your own way. Mm. I think if you try and recreate what somebody else has done, you know, is it going to work as well? You've yeah, got to be yes. true to yourself and what you believe in. Brilliant. do it your way what a great way to finish love that Chris thanks so much it's been an absolute pleasure and um, can't wait to share this episode so it's thank been great. you sir thanks Sam and that is a wrap as they say 